0: Hi, I'm Gail.
1: Hi, I'm Catherine. And today we're very pleased to to welcome Amy Sherman. She's an advocate for women aging. Amy is the Midwest Regional Campaign Manager for Compassion and Choices, a national nonprofit organization. And in this role, Amy is an advocate for expanding end of life options and empowering people to take charge of their own journeys. She leads a statewide coalition in Illinois in partnership with Final Options Illinois and the ACLU of Illinois. And she also oversees activities in several other Midwestern states. Earlier in her career, Amy earned a law degree from Northwestern University School of Law. And prior to that, she managed emergency services at University of Illinois Hospital and at Cook County Hospital. And these experiences led her to develop a passion for patient-centered and compassionate approaches to healthcare, so Amy, welcome as an advocate for women aging. We're delighted to have you with us today. Thank you, Catherine. I'm so pleased to be here. Thank you. Uh, why don't we just start with uh, what is Compassionate Choices? Sure.
2: Compassionate Choices is the oldest, largest, and most active nonprofit organization committed to improving and expanding healthcare options at the end of life. We are working toward a patient-directed approach to end-of-life care. We offer a wide range of free tools and resources to help people navigate their own end-of-life journeys.
1: How can you help people think about that, about um, the end-of-life landscape? Sure. Well, I think what's important is
2: you know medical science... Uh, has increasingly utilized technology and through great research has, um, you know, prolonged life. Uh, but in so- sometimes uh, it prolongs life at the expense of quality of life. And um, as noted by Dr. Atul Gawande in his seminal book, Being Mortal, which I recommend people read, aging and dying has become in some ways a medical experience um, and doctors are, alarmingly unprepared for this changed landscape, as are we. Uh, Most people want to die at home surrounded by their loved ones. And sadly, most people are dying in care facilities and nursing homes. And the question for me is, you know, when does the quantity of days and the quality of life become imbalanced? Um, This is a very personal question. Only the person who's suffering can decide when suffering becomes intolerable. This is why that advanced care planning that we work toward is so critical so that you chart your own end of life journey that's consistent with your values, priorities, and beliefs. So tell us how can
1: Compassion and Choices help with uh, advanced care planning?
2: Well, Compassionate Choices offers a wide range of free online tool and resources to help people not only document, but really identify their end-of-life care wishes. Sometimes people are trying to start an advanced directive, for example, and they don't even know what they really want. So it's a process. Um, we have an end-of-life decision guides, which provides a step-by-step process for advanced care planning. It includes this great planning checklist, and I'm a big fan of checklists, um, and excellent resources to help you have the often difficult but incredibly and always important conversations about your end-of-life care with your family and doctors. And even if you have an advanced directive, there are several supplements that address issues that may not be fully covered by your directive. For example we offer a value and priority tool online um, for planning um, in the case of a dementia diagnosis, which we all know is um, something that's on the rise as we age. Mm -hmm. Um, this, This tool can then actually be used to create an addendum to your advanced directive that really focuses on what happens and what you want if you do end up with dementia. Um, I highly recommend people look at this. Uh, It helps people, I think, get a better understanding of what some of the issues are, and then you can actually fill out what are your wishes in case of a diagnosis. Um, I I really recommend that people check our planning resource center. We actually have a very robust planning resource center um, at compassionandchoices.org forward slash planning um, and, you know, I would recommend you spend an hour because it's going to take, you know, an hour or two mm-hmm. going through all of them. But if you do that, you're going to have, um, you know, a really good pathway toward that advanced care planning.
1: And, and Amy, who, who should have access to that by to, doing advanced care planning? Who do I need to make sure has that?
2: Well, you know, you don't want to be discussing your um, end of life wishes for the first time on the ride to the oh. hospital. Planning in advance is a gift to yourself and to your loved ones. Um, it's going to reduce conflict among family members who may have differing views of care, and it's going to keep you in charge of your healthcare wishes. In my uh, view, the most important thing to do is to designate a healthcare power of attorney who can speak for you when you're unable to. Uh, You can find a form like this on our website or in the Illinois Department of Health webpage. They they oversee this um, in Illinois. And you want to identify somebody that you trust, um, who knows your wishes and is going to advocate for you both with your doctors and your family based on those wishes. The advanced directive, though, is just the start of the process. Um, it's important to have more than one conversation with your healthcare power of attorney. There's just there's no way to anticipate every healthcare scenario, uh, but these conversations help your representative make the decision you would want. Um, and after you identified and documented your wishes, you also want to talk with your loved ones and let them know you have an advanced directive and make sure they understand that you have this designated power of attorney and ask them to support that person should you not be able to make decisions. Um, also, you want to share this with your doctor. I have actually um, put it in my records at the hospital that, uh, that's close by. Um, I really, I, I think it's important sometimes think about putting it right at the back of your door along with any other um, directive so paramedics can see it. Uh, the more is the merrier in terms of spreading the advanced directive. Um, for example, I shared my advanced director, which I'd recently updated with everyone in my family and my close friends. And I spoke individually with each and every one of them and explained, you know, that I didn't want to put them in the difficult decision of having to make those decisions, but that I wanted them to please honor my own wishes. And I know some people find that their families don't want to talk about death. Um, it's not unusual to hear this and that, um, they they can be really threatened by these kinds of conversations. I think in those instances, number one, I think it's important to do it um, one by one and not do it in a group setting, but also just focus on your own wishes and don't debate their views. Just focus, you know, really use a lot of I statements. But this is why I think it's important to have that power of attorney representative who can handle dissent from loved ones and also even from doctors who may be pushing a certain treatment. Mm
0: -hmm. Amy, you said something very interesting, and that was in relation to paramedics and having your directives on the back of your door. Can can you explain a little bit more about that? Because I I live alone. I often wonder, how will anybody know what I want?
2: Well, particularly if you have a serious illness and you've had a physician order for life sustaining um, treatment, which is called post in um, Illinois and is honored in Illinois, and that's a physician's order about specific treatments, and that has the do not resuscitate order within the form. Um, You know, if a paramedic comes, they're trained to uh, keep, uh, sustain life and get you to an emergency room or to the hospital. And um, if they don't see it, they're not going to know that there's this order. And it's interesting, I just recently talked to somebody who was an EMT, and they said, put it on the back of the door. That's <laughs> where we're going to make it in a big, bright color, that kind of thing. So I just, you know, for me, it's just important. Don't assume everybody's going to check the freezer. You know, I know we all talk about putting it in the freezer. That's fine to do. But I think the back of the door might even be more visible.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, it's a great you idea. You know, you mentioned that the power of health and um, I've been in conversations with people who are a little troubled about who to name as that power of attorney for health or power of health. And and so I think sometimes it's just, well, I need, to, it has to be a family member, but I've heard you and others talk about that isn't necessarily the wisest choice. Can you Can you address that?
2: Yeah. And I think it depends on every person's situation and their relationships. Um, you want someone who can focus on your wishes, not theirs. That's really important. They, they're really your voice, not their voice. Mm-hmm. And, um, somebody you really trust, also someone who's going to be available. That's been a dilemma, particularly during the pandemic, but also because we're such a mobile society, you may have somebody who doesn't live near you. I think, you know, if you can find someone who's nearby and who's really available, that's a good idea. But if it's someone you trust, as long as they're available, I think it's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, it has to be someone who can be an advocate, you know, um, who's not going to be um, bulldozed by Mm -hmm. some other family member. As, as to whether it should be a family member or not, I think it depends. You know, I think it depends on the situation. There are times when it could be a tremendous burden for the, for the family member to be the healthcare power of attorney, um, you know, to, to be your representative. You know, uh, I think um, it, it's often, you know, I, I've, I've heard of people who have said to me, you know, I'm not going to have my spouse do it. It's too heavy. They're in the middle of dealing with me in a, a serious crisis Mm -hmm. Um, but you also want to have somebody who's going to listen to that spouse, obviously, at least consider what their feelings are. Um, it's a, it's an important role. And so it it should not be done sort of like, okay, check on the Mm -hmm. checklist, something Mm -hmm. that requires thought. It cannot, by the way, be your doctor, um, who's caring for you. That's important to know, has to be someone over 18. Um, and, um, you know, you can also put on your directive people you don't want to be your power right. and um, you know that people don't tend to do that, but mm-hmm. that may solve some of those issues
1: in advance. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, it just really, it really in, reinforces what you said about it's not just one conversation. Usually it's, it's a conversation where you can go deeper and deeper into what your wishes are. And ideally the other the people are there with you trying to kind of help you anticipate and, mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And and I, again, you know, we really have some resources about those conversations. It's not just things about the form, but actually sort of the, the process of doing advanced care planning and engaging people. I really like a lot of our online tools because I think um, I can engage other people while I'm doing it. Uh, when I was filling out the one for COVID-19 particularly, I mean, that was hard. I don't know enough about COVID-19 to make some of these decisions. I had to do a little reading and thinking and, you know, what, what's important to me. And I actually, I talked to some friends and, and actually family about sort of, you know, what do they think and how do I feel? And um, I didn't get pushback from that. I actually thought it, it actually encouraged some other people. Um, my needs is my, my power of attorney. And, she thanked me and said, I'm really glad you're doing this because I know I'll be in this role someday. Uh Thank you. And I hope that this will inspire other members of the family to do this. So you you don't know how people are going to respond.
1: Right, right. So any other, what other options would you like to highlight around this whole end of life journey planning and journey? Yeah, well, I
2: I think it is important when you're starting this process to really know what the options are, because a lot of times you don't. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, what we forget is you can always pursue a treatment. I mean, I I really believe this is, as I said, an individual decision. And you may say, I'm going to go ahead with these interventions. And that's okay. As long as you have the information, you make the choice. You can also, though, discontinue or refuse treatment i'll give you an example um you know personal example my mother who was uh, had advanced uh, alzheimer's um we made the decision to stop her pacemaker it just didn't make sense anymore um so you know those kinds of decisions can be made or just saying no and people sometimes feel like they can't refuse treatment because so many people in our culture defer to doctors and, you know, I have tremendous respect for doctors and what they do. So I understand that, but these are decisions that need to be made by the person, in fact, or, or their proxy. Um, as to other options, people at the end of life may opt for, um, hospice, um, and hospice is, uh, a really a part of palliative care, uh, looking at comfort care, um, mm-hmm. It does not involve curative treatments, that's one of the big differences and it's available for people who have a prognosis of six months or less to live. Um, And it's an interdisciplinary approach uh, with doctors, nurses, therapists, social workers, faith leaders, whoever would be engaged for that person's well-being. And that includes also more of an um, uh, ecosystem approach because uh, family is engaged as well. So that's something, and I don't, by the way, hospice to me does not mean you can't do other things, but it's a it's an important option. Um, Voluntarily stopping and eating, uh, VSED as we call it, Um, is uh, an option for people um, uh, at end of life many people start to lose their desire to eat or drink and um, we see often uh, feeding tubes or forced feedings and drinkings and uh, this could be a time to say no we're not going to push any of that Um, also can be a deliberate choice uh, this process tends to take, um, could take a couple weeks. It, it's mm-hmm. hard to say. It sort of depends on your own body. Um, but I know people who have done that and opted for that. Um, another one is palliative sedation or continuous deep sedation. Mm-hmm. And this is putting someone in a, almost like a, I'd say, well, not almost. It is a coma-like state um, as their body shuts down.
1: Um,
2: and then finally, there's medical aid in
1: dying in states where it's available. Yeah, let's talk about that because that's that's a whole topic that is just um, kind of fraught with misconceptions and um, concerns that people have. So this is a wonderful time to kind of set the record straight on what medical aid in dying is all about. Yeah, and yeah, and I agree. Uh,
2: people really need to understand what it is and what it isn't. Um, medical aid in dying um, allows terminally ill adults to. Um, request and receive a prescription for medication that they, you know, may choose to take to die peacefully in their sleep. Um, To qualify, someone obviously has to be terminal, um, which means a prognosis of six months or less to live. Uh, You have to be mentally capable and you have to be able to self-ingest the medication so that, you know, this is a check, make sure it's voluntary. And to meet the standard of care, two healthcare providers must confirm the patient is terminal. Um, and that this is not because of age or disability. Uh, The primary and consulting healthcare providers must also confirm that there's no coercion. Um, And, um, you know, we find that there's tremendous support for medical aid in dying. Uh, I do want to mention it is not suicide. We hear this a lot from people in uh, the opposition to medical aid in dying. This is Often, I mean, I I can't think of an example of somebody who wanted to die. People are dying. Um, People are not dying because of medical aid and dying. They're dying because whatever terminal illness or condition Mm -hmm. they have. Um, And this is very different from somebody who is uh, committing suicide. Um, uh, Medical aid and um, dying is gaining tremendous traction in this country in terms of support. Um, Just to give you one example, based on a 2020 Gallup poll, we know that nearly three in four Americans, I think it was 74% support this compassionate end-of-life care, um, end care option. Um, and what I find interesting is support has doubled since Gallup started polling this question in the 1940s. I think there's been a real understanding around it. Right now, we have 11 jurisdictions, 10 states in Washington, DC, that have authorized medical aid in dying so that terminally ill adults can avoid needless suffering um, New Mexico's governor just signed into law, uh, medical aid and dying bill. Uh, so we're very excited about this. Um, and we at Compassionate Choices are working, as you mentioned, Catherine, um, with a coalition in Illinois, uh, the Illinois end of life options coalition with our partners, the ACLU and final options, Illinois to be the next state to authorize medical aid and dying through legislation. Um, and I really hope any of your listeners who want to get involved in this movement, contact me. I don't know if it's okay if I give my email address, but I'm to have this. Um, it's a Sherman, A-S-H-E-R-M-A-N, at compassionandchoices.org. And that's all spelled out. Um, so um, do you have any other questions about medical aid and dying?
1: Well, one of the terms that I, when I talk about it with people that I hear, oh, oh, I, well, they say, well, that's suicide, or they'll say, well, that's, uh, uh, physician assisted suicide. or Physician assisted, and so it, it it is not right. But so, can you talk Absolutely about that? Absolutely
2: not. You know, as I mentioned, you know the these the people who are doing medical aid and dying are dying. They're this is a you know they're already in process of dying. That's very critical to this. And this is a voluntary piece where you've checked with your physician. It's a very purposeful, planned. And certainly not isolated, which is typically the case with suicide. Um, but these people want to live. They are just dying. That's just the fact. In fact, if you look at the death certificates in the states where medical aid and dying is authorized, it doesn't say cause of death, medical aid, and dying. It says the underlying condition. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's a it's a different behavior. It really is. Suicide tends to be impulsive, impulsive. Um, uh, not always, but most of the time, I'd say, or at least often, this is somebody who's uh, feeling um, disruption and um, there, there may be mental illness associated with it. Um, and um, it tends to be an isolated act. We know from um, you know, uh, our, our research, and you know, we have over 20 years of experience with medical aid and dying, um, people typically die at home. The vast majority in comparison to what the general population is, you know, and they're connected, they're connected to family. It's a very different act. And in fact, the American Academy of Suicidology and the American um, Psychological Association has specifically uh, made statements saying this is different. Medical aid in dying is different than suicide. When you talk about the physician assisted suicide, that that's getting into something called euthanasia, which is mm-hmm. a third party administering something that results in death.
0: Yes, mm-hmm.
2: We don't support that. A compassionate choice. This is illegal. Um, and uh, you know, one of the components for medical aid in dying is that it's self-ingested. Mm-hmm. Does that does that give you enough uh, information about the different right?
0: Question. I'm glad you uh, clarified that because I, I think there is a lot of misconception about it. And, and going back to one other thing you said about hospice, mm-hmm. is, is it true that once you are in hospice, you can no longer opt out of it or not?
2: You can you can opt out of hospice. I mean, no one can force you to be in hospice. You can do some of the options I've talked about in hospice uh, and it, you know, this is why it's important to pick the right hospice provider. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just like in anything you have to look at, does it align with your values priorities and belief? Are these good providers from your perspective? All of that. Um, You know, I I've known people who've had um, unfortunate experiences, but most people I know have had really great experience with hospice and mm-hmm. I, I'm a big believer in hospice. Um, but I, I will tell you this, um, over 90% of the people um, who um, opted for medical aid and dying in Oregon uh, in the last annual report were on hospice. So there's no, it's not an either or. Dying. Right. Good
0: to know. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to ask the obvious question, Amy, because most of our listening audience is women and women, uh, kind of girls in my age. And, and so, um, why just, why is this so important for for women who aging, who are aging the knowing about compassion choices and, and end of life options and planning?
2: Well, for one, uh, for, for yourself, I think for a lot of women as we age and I'm in that category, just like everybody else, um, you know, we, we need to take care of our own business. Uh, I think, you know, uh, for those of who are a little older, we've seen the change in somebody else taking care of business to us taking care of our own business. And it's empowering. I think it takes, uh, it's also role modeling for, um, if you have children or you, I don't have children, but for the younger people that I'm connected to, as I mentioned with my niece, um, I think it's also just to help reduce the anxiety around death. Um, to help so we can live life. Um, I really think it's important. Um, And uh, we're going to start dealing, it's just inevitable, with uh, more serious illnesses, and eventually we're all going to die. So my view is, you know, um, and and this is really my advice to other people, you know, take care of business and then enjoy your life. And so for me to have that kind of full experience at every age we need to take care of the business so
1: we can let it go. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what I'm, my view is. It's so important. I, you know, I've read, I've been, I have been involved with Compassionate Choices for about a year now. And so I've read a lot of the books. I've, I've worked through many of the resources on Compassionate Choices. I've gone to death cafes. I've talked with death doulas. There's this this, what you just said, I want to reinforce about living well because we all will die, that's an inevitable. And how can we um, be as intentional and purposeful about how we live and then how we die? So um, I wanna, I just wanna underscore what you said about that. And um, we can um, include when your episode is available to people, we can include any resources that you want to, Um, Oh, I'd be happy to for people because the the books, the compassion and choices, um, it it people. I I feel as you said empowered Mm -hmm. and uh, upbeat when I come out of these conversations about planning for my death, which some people find to be quite odd. Um, Uh, But I can tell that that you share that view, so.
2: I do. And you know, a lot of the people I work with in this movement, and you know, I work with a lot of volunteers like you, Catherine. These are people who have very busy lives are very, very engaged in life. And they're not doing this in some sort of um, um, negative or morbid kind of curiosity. They're doing this because they embrace life. And they want their experience to the end to be positive as it can be. Um, and I really appreciate that. Um, you know, one, one resource before I forget that I want to um, just highlight, because it's okay. meant a lot to me personally, is the book Finish Strong um, by our former president, um, uh, Barbara Coombs Lee. She is uh, a nurse an attorney and a physician assistant. I mean, she's just got such a uh, perspective and um, her thinking is so much based on on the ground experience. But she, this book is, is so practical. Mm-hmm. And it goes and it's not just about medical aid and dying. In fact, that's just you know one part of it. But it talks just through the whole experience. And it gives a lot of really practical tools. I read that fairly early in my work at CNC, at Compassionate Choices, and um, it has grounded me ever since. So Mm -hmm. that's one that I just hope people do, but we have, there's a lot of books and films and all sorts of resources.
0: Mm -hmm. This is such an important conversation, Amy. I am so glad you're able to be here with us. It's, I think that like so many conversations today, they can't be hidden anymore. People have to feel free to talk about these very important
2: life stages. I and agree. And, and it's really a part of a bigger shift or trend where we're getting more patient directed and people are taking more ownership around their health. That doesn't mean doctors don't play, a, and nurses exactly. and everybody else and others play an absolutely essential role, but we can be a contributing member to that process too. So exactly. That's and that's important. Right. Women, women need to be empowered to do this. Absolutely. You know, in fact, from, I'm sorry, I didn't cut you off. I just, I was going to say, in fact, with COVID, what's been interesting with COVID-19 is we're seeing more and more articles where doctors are saying, please do your advanced care directives Mm -hmm. that help us because we'll know what your wishes are. So, you know, seriously, this is, this is a part of um, our responsibility in some ways and, and it's doable. It's not, it, it seems so overwhelming when you first start, but with these tools and resources,
1: it can be done by anybody. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you, Amy. You've really helped us. I think compassion and choices is, is 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 well named for the organization. Thank you. And I, you've you've really helped us get a, a appreciation for the compassion part as well as the choice part. So thank you. Thank you so much. So much. We Thanks really appreciate it. Thanks for the
2: chance this. to talk with both of you. And uh, if you ever uh, want anything, and information, resources, just know we're, we're at the ready. Will indeed. Thank you. Very much. Thank thank you.